Thank you, Anne. I think it was Forrest Gump who had that wonderful line that life is like a a box of chocolates and uh, we can choose which treats you have. And as I've been preparing for uh, on this passage this week, this passage is like the ultimate box of chocolates. Sometimes I look at a passage and I think, well, why did I say just one sermon? This passage deserves two. And as I've been preparing this week, I was thinking, well, maybe three, maybe four. It's such a rich passage that we don't want to rush through. But I have been selective in that process, in particular with our theme as we continue exploring God's mission plan as it's revealed in Scripture. And we've used this line, Shalom in the sanctuary of God, as a a summary of what God's purposes are for creation and in redemption. Shalom meaning flourishing growth of health and restoration of healing, of abundance. That's all found in the notion of shalom. And the sanctuary of God is that place of refuge that God provides for us. So as we come this week, we can uh, get a picture of just how abundant that, that what we glimpse of it is available to us, filled with the fullness of God, is a phrase that's taken from Ephesians 3, the passage we're looking at. A few decades ago, um, Fiona and I, together with our family at that stage of Daniel and Jess and uh, John, went on a holiday to New Zealand back in 1998, uh, back to the country of my birth. Um, and uh, actually at that stage, I hadn't been back to New Zealand for 28 years. It was actually quite a break. We've been a few there a few times since then. Uh, on our journeys, we went to a place called Akaroa, which is south of Christchurch. It's a lovely little uh, cove. Um, and uh, I was really struck by the, uh, the high tide that was coming up and lapping on this pier that was going down. It was stepped down. And I happened to have a new camera at that stage, so I took an awful lot of photos with my camera. This photo in particular has really stayed with me, and I've got a print of it on my wall in the study, because it invites me to go deeper. And in a spiritual metaphor, it encourages me not just to paddle around the edges, not just to tip my, my toes on the edges of that abundance of what God is available, but to progress ever deeper into the richness of God's abundance, God's grace, of uh, God's love can enfold us. I'm going to come back to that a bit later, but at this stage, might I just suggest that one of the problems we have in our Western church, and particularly the, some of the, uh, the more mainstream churches, is that we've become so used to paddling around the edges that we have reduced the, the scope of salvation that we're looking for. We're looking for something that gets us over the line, assures us that we are saved. So that moment when, when we go to meet our maker, um, that we can be accepted and received. Now that is all true, but there is so much more to God's work of salvation, God's intention and purposes for us, that encourages us to actively seek to go deeper into the goodness of God. Earlier on in this passage, in chapter 3, we saw last week that God invited not just uh, the A-list of VIPs for people to come and to be part of his kingdom, 
God invited uh, everyone. There's no A-list and B-list and also-rans, but the invitation is for people regardless of whether they are Jew or Gentile, whatever their background is, whether they are uh, people who have made a success of their life and whatever that looks like, or those who have struggled and had challenges, whether they come from one, relig- one uh, ethnicity or uh, different nations, all are invited. But here Paul moves beyond the notion of coming as a guest into becoming family. It's an enormous difference, isn't it, to enter a house and think, I'm coming as a guest and entering into what we know is home. And here Paul is inviting us to enter this family to make ourselves home, to put down roots. Now there's two images here about the kingdom of God that I find really helpful. We talk about the phrase the kingdom of God. It appears often in the teaching of Jesus. It picks up the hopes of the kingdom back in the golden days of Israel where they would picture the kingdom looking like the kingdom of King David, a powerful king, a powerful army who established Jerusalem as the capital city, built palaces and the walls. And their hope was that that kingdom of David was going to be re-established. And Jesus said, yes, I am a king, but not like that. The kingdom I'm talking about is much bigger than that. It's not limited to this Uh, this particular space but it's hard for us to picture what that looks like well the kingdom is actually a relationship first and foremost so sometimes I explain it as being the kingdom reign of God it is where we recognize the sovereignty of God and his purposes that we are in his space and we are seek to look to God to help us to live well, to to grow and to flourish. Here there are two images that are used that, well, they work for me. I offer them to you as well, that Paul uses. The first of all is to be part of the kingdom of God is to be part of God's family, extended family. In fact, to be part of God's household. Now, to be um, in a household in the Greek and Roman world was a a much more significant thing than it is today. We tend to have uh, very transient households and very nuclear sort of um, apartments and areas. Whereas in the Mediterranean world, in the ancient Near East, to be part of an extended family is a a significant um, source of, of, uh, of security and of comfort and of protection and of a space where we can be to, to grow and to be ourselves. So it's like a, it wasn't just those who are bloodline members who can be family, but all within the community of the household are part of that family. So the tutors and those who take care of children and those who contribute in all different ways within that household are all part of that one extended family. Aristotle actually called it as the, the key building block of society is the notion of an extended household. So Paul says that God is inviting us to be part of God's household. A little bit more about that in a minute. But the second image I'll just note at this stage, and we'll come back to it later, is the kingdom of God is also like an ecosystem. 
where we see a whole lot of living uh, entities with their plants or all that con contributes to having a, a productive and a, a fruitful environment is an ecosystem. And the kingdom of God can also be understood as a spiritual ecosystem. Those are two images that Paul uses. So first of all, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. This is the, the ultimate family, as God is the heavenly Father, unlike any others. Now, a brief, brief little explanation about the use of the, the name Abba, Father, for God, which is so rich. There are many different uh, images that are used of God. The fact that Father is used here doesn't mean to say that God is male. God is not male or female. God is greater than either of those. There's also images that describe God as a mother who cares for her young or has given birth to Israel. So it's good to, to recognise that we're not saying that God is, um, is male over against female. But here the role of father is drawn from what would have been familiar in the world of Paul, the pater familias. That is to say the father of the household. In fact, even Caesar would describe himself as the father of the, the fatherland. And that language is often being used uh, uh, in different cultures as well. I can illustrate what it means to know God as father and for us to be family. Where the notion is helpful, the background less so. If you've seen the movies The Godfather, one, two, three, four, I don't know how many they ended up with being you might remember that, that moment where the godfather would look at someone and saying, you are family. And it was often said in a fairly threatening way. But it meant you had obligations, you, uh, you have uh, duties to fulfil as part of family. Take the notion of being family, but make it happier. So you are family. And hear God saying to us, use you are my family. You are part of my household. My abiding place is your home. This is the God who is providing, nourishing, protecting, who is there for us, who is watching over us. It is in that sense that God is described as the pater familias, as the father of his heavenly family. Out of that role, God then provides out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is where we have the, the danger of if we've just so minimized the notion of salvation as being a, um, a, a, you know, a statement of forgiveness and assurance that we're okay with God. That is so important. That is vital. But God's grace, God's shalom is so much bigger than that. And we're missing out on so much if we think, oh, I'll basically live the life I want to live. And then when I come to that moment when I die, I'll just be renew that assurance that I'm uh, coming before God in forgiveness. No, if we come to God now and grow into it, we find all that is life-giving, all that is building us up, all that leads us to have a healthy headspace. That is where God begins to change. 
Because notice this here is something that works within us. As much as it is cosmic in its scope, it is also God's power through his spirit in our inner being that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. The heart and the mind are what makes us who we are. It's what drives us, gives us a sense of purpose. It is what shapes our ambitions, our passions, what we name as good, the choices that we make, all comes out of the heart. And Christ dwells in that space. Augustine actually had that wonderful phrase that in every person there is a God-shaped space that only God can fill. And once, until that is filled, we are restless, Augustine said. But once we enter into that relationship with God, it changes everything. In the the 19th century, there was a word that was used of believers and those who had been very often through a Wesleyan type of experience, not limited to that, who understood the richness of this Um, they were described as enthusiasts because their lives were bubbling over with what it meant to have this dwelling in our hearts through faith. It's a sad reflection of the church of the day, of the establishment church, that the word enthusiast was used as a put-down. It was uh, used in the sense of we're not, not enthusiasts here. Being enthusiastic is not our thing. We don't want an enthusiastic priest. That would be a horror. Well, I've got to tell you, I'm an enthusiast. And I know I'm in good company. Because that's what it should look like. It actually just shapes our energy in life. It revitalizes us. So Paul then moves on beyond the household image to the second one, of the roots grounded in the rich soil of God's love. Now, uh, this phrase here, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, is such a a rich one that we've adopted it here at St. Matthew's for this season of our ministry. So we have the image of the uh, the tree of life. Um, After some feedback, we actually added some leaves. The first version of it was a winterized tree that uh, we've now added some nice uh, greenery flourishing through it. And the roots that are, that are so vital. We've got some wonderful trees in our neighbourhood, one in our backyard in the rectory. They've been around for hundreds of years. They are so solid because their roots go so deep. And so this is the image that Paul uses. So we use the phrase here, our, our desire in God's grace is to be growing in the tree of life. And the subtitle we use is based on this verse from Ephesians 3. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love, in the love of God, the love of God expressed through the work of Jesus, the love of Christ that changes. That is the the nutrient that gives us this life. A few years back, Fiona and I were able to visit um, Canada, and in particular Vancouver Island really captured our imagination. I know we're not alone to those who have ever been there. Uh, It's a beautiful part of the world, and uh, in particular, this garden is the Butchart Garden, which is out close to Victoria on Vancouver Island. It initially was a quarry, 
Mr. Butchart was a, uh, someone who owned a number of, of uh, quarries, and this one had been depleted. And uh, Mrs. Butchart said, well, can I take this depleted, worn-out, weeds-driven quarry and turn it into a garden? This was in the early part of the, night of the uh, 20th century. And turn it into a garden, she did. <laughs> it is spectacular. Uh, this former quarry now looks like it's the picture you can see on the screen there. And the whole environment is just such a delight to enter into. It isn't just the beauty of the individual flower beds and the uh, different arrangements. and It's the whole environment that you just walk through and you just try to absorb it as much as possible. And you certainly don't want to race through it. It's something that invites you to be still, to, to be ministered to by this living environment in which we enter. When Paul talks about this abundance, about shalom as the flourishing, as the growth of this ecosystem that is all contributing to a whole environment, this is the sort of image that comes to my mind. Not quite my image or our picture for the rectory garden, but we're making a start, <laughs> as we all do in our own way. But there are corners within it as well. Another part of the Butchart Garden is this lovely pond, um, which was, is just so still and it's, it's the sum of the parts all together contribute into that richness and there's a quality that is to be experienced in that space. The imagery of the sanctuary of God is the image of a place of refuge, a safe place, a place where we can be nourished and built up, where we can be um, just grounded in our sense of, of life and who we are and our sense of relationships around it. And the thing about an ecosystem is that they all contribute to it. I mentioned back in February a, uh, what was a discovery for me and a, re a recent discovery, I understand, for um, scientists is that the root systems in an ecosystem talk to each other. If there is one tree or a shrub that is struggling, it is stricken, then the roots of the other parts of that ecosystem can reach out and transfer nutrients and energy into it. And if one is distressed, others can actually gather and are supported. It's an amazing uh, world of discovery of how that all works together. And that, I think, is our vision, our hope, our dream for the ecosystem of St Matthew's to be that type of place. It actually, in our long history, has always been a place where people have been nurtured and encouraged and uh, built up and equipped and we've seen growth happen, growth that has been sending out. And so our prayer is that we will continue to be that sort of space in God's grace. But let's dwell a bit more on the love of God that is where it is uh, the nutrients that gives life to that ecosystem. So Paul continues being... I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul begins to struggle to find language that can express it. He says to know that this love that surpasses understanding, surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the verse that blew me away when I came back and looked at it again this week. The notion that the fullness of God is available to us 
And God is looking to fill us up to an abundance, to be overflowing. Later on in Ephesians, we'll see in chapter 5, that it is the Spirit who fills us to, to the extent that we're overflowing. But we need to be open and receptive to it. We can quench that Spirit. We can say, thanks, but it's not for us. But we are missing out on so much if our understanding of our relationship with God stays with our heads. It becomes a notion that we play with rather than a relationship to be entered into, to experience and to enjoy. Paul continues. And here he struggles to find the right phrase. Who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And at this point, Paul struggles to think, what is an adequate word? And in Greek, if you haven't got an adequate word, you keep on adding extra particles to it. A bit like, you know, we have a market. Then we have a supermarket. Then we might have a hyper-supermarket. You know, keep on adding bits to it. Well, Paul does this to a, a word. He's trying, he's struggling to explain how rich it is. So he starts with, God, to him who is able to do what we ask or think. That's pretty cool in itself. God is able to do what we ask or think. But Paul's not satisfied, so he, he adds something to this work. He said, to do all we ask or think. You almost see him pausing and saying, no, no, that's not good enough. I've got to add a bit more. To do more than all we ask or think. No, no, nowhere near there yet. Paul continues, to do abundantly more than all we ask or think. Well, in one word. And he's still not satisfied, so he tosses in one more extensive. To do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. <laughs> Get the message. This is huge. But God wants us to be cooperative in that space, to receive it, to seek it, to be open to it. So as we come back and reflect on how God's work is his power to work within us, Paul hasn't finished just yet. All this is according to his power which is work within us. To him be glory. Not because God is seeking glory, not because God delights in people saying how wonderful he is. That's all true and, and, and appropriate, but that's not what drives God. It's the love of God for this world. Where God's work is done, where God's way is followed where the mission of God is continued and the blessings come as a result, when it's in the church and in Christ Jesus, it is glorious. When God does what God does, it is glorious. When God does what God wants to do in the church, it is glorious. When God does what he has done, is doing and will do in Christ, it is glorious throughout all generations, forever and ever. And it's one of those moments where Paul just says, I've got to say amen. There's a good Maori word for it, by the way, kiora. Happens when people preach in New Zealand, by the way. If you like what the preacher is saying, you call out kiora, but just putting it out there. So where does this take us? How do we hear and respond and sit with this? Well, I come back to that picture again. I hear God calling me to go deeper, to trust him, 
to even reach that space where we are swimming in that love of God, not just in the safety zone, the fearful zone around the edges. And to trust that in that space there is a freedom, there is a, a, a delight that is not only refreshing, it is life-giving in that space. Let us encourage one another as a church, not just in our own personal lives, but as a church, to explore what that looks like at this time for this generation. And let us pray in God's grace that this ecosystem that we are entrusted with, we can see some new seedlings planted. We can see some new saplings encouraged. And that we can bring the the richness of what we have received so that the next generation can also grow and flourish in that space. Amen.